We'll begin by reading together our text from Psalm 121. So if you have a Bible in front of you or are able to get one quickly, turn with me to Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will never slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. Do you ever get a song stuck in your head? I'm one of those people who just always seems to have a song stuck in my head. It's like an iPod on shuffle up there. You never know which old song it might drum up from the past, but something is just always playing. I'm humming or whistling, walking down the hallway. If you see me working, I'm probably singing a tune in my head. I just can't get songs out of my head sometimes. In fact, one time for a UIL competition, and as young as middle school, I was talked into by a band director and competing in music memory. I didn't even know that was something that you could compete in, but apparently it was a skill alongside a number of other UIL activities and they needed students to participate for some reason and I was talked into the task with a couple of others in competing in music memory. They would play short clips of songs throughout history and your job was simply to name the tune. With composer and song title, you were supposed to match the songs you were hearing. It was everything from Pachelbel's Canon in D to Ride of the Valkyries to It Ain't Got a Thing If It Ain't Got That Swing. Jazz music, symphonies. You learned how to listen for certain parts of the song, whether it was that bass line of Canon in D or the, the exuberant chorus of Ride of the Valkyries or the jazz notes of It Ain't Got a Thing, so that you'd know by just one clip which song you had heard. It's funny, isn't it, how some songs are just so catchy you can't get them out of your head, they stick with you for a lifetime. The folks over at the Museum of Science and Industry in Manchester, United Kingdom, used a couple years worth of research and 12,000 people to survey what were the catchiest songs ever. They had people listen to dozens and dozens of the top hits from every decade since the 1940s so that they could come up with a comprehensive list, science to teach us, which song is the catchiest. It's quite a list, really. Everything from Eye of the Tiger to Michael Jackson's Beat It, Ray Orbison's Pretty Woman or Aerosmith's I Don't Wanna Miss a Thing. Even Elvis Presley's It's Now or Never made the list. Michael Jackson appears again with Billie Jean, Britney Spears, Elton John, Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. You can find the list online. It, there are songs that simply stick with us. Music and memory go together. In fact, one of the goals of this research was to try and figure out if music might have a role in treating dementia or therapies for certain kinds of memory loss. 
Have you ever heard a song and it just sounded so familiar, like maybe you'd heard it before? There's a little section in the book of Psalms called the Songs of Ascent. It's a collection of psalms from 120 to 134 that the Israelites, as best we can tell, would use for making pilgrimages, especially to Jerusalem. It's really a kind of songbook for the road. Traveling songs that they would use on these journeys, sometimes arduous, sometimes facing many obstacles or threats on their way. We learn about their journeys even as far back as Exodus, where it says the Israelite males are commanded to go and to see the face of the Lord Yahweh three times a year for Passover and Pentecost and ingathering. And so these pilgrimage, these journeying events, these road trips, if you will, for Israelites were to be accompanied by this playlist. As best we can tell, this was the road trip playlist for the journey. As they made their way to Jerusalem, as they journeyed to ancient holy festivals, there were to be certain songs that were simply stuck in their mind, songs they could not get out of their head, like a catchy tune that keeps coming back up again, or a couple of words that if someone starts them, you could finish it right away. And Psalm 121 is intended to be that kind of catchy tune for the road. And can be for us, if we recite it often enough, God-given lyrics for life. So as we consider Psalm 121, even now, we can imagine the author here as someone who's on the beginning of one of these road trips or journeys and maybe even a long way into it. And here, near the beginning of this songbook for the road, the journeyer seems to have been caught in their tracks. Maybe it was the daunting look ahead, a long road they can see before them. Maybe there's a steep climb coming up, or maybe they've just gotten really tired or lacking in resources on their way up to Jerusalem. Maybe life circumstances have been less than ideal, or maybe it's been a long road trip and this parent is just ready to get off away from the mule full of kids for a minute. We can't tell, but maybe they've gotten themselves into trouble. And so the psalm begins with a question, the journeyers asking, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where will my help come? I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? It's not an unfamiliar circumstance to be in a situation in life that seems so challenging that we turn and look for help. That things are so difficult or dangerous that we realize that we need something from outside of ourselves to intervene to help us keep going. And really the psalm tells us what the sources of harm were for the ancient traveler. Look at the first several verses and you'll get three potential sources of harm. First, for the person traveling by foot, there's the reality that one misstep, which could come at any moment, could ruin the trip. The rocks beneath your feet can move or slip, and the sprain of an ankle can be the end of a journey, or even life-threatening if done in the wrong place. 
A person traveling on foot is also susceptible to the sun. And a long day's exposure to the heat and to the elements can leave you with heat stroke. And third, a person traveling a long distance on foot can even come under emotional distress. The the pressures of fatigue and anxiety can cause you to become emotionally ill. It's what ancient writers called moonstroke. It's something close to where we get our word for lunacy. This kind of trip can even drive you crazy. And it wouldn't take a whole lot of effort for us here in our own journey of faith to think up our own list of dangers, to edit that ancient list. Imagine the kind of fears and dangers that our world is constantly stressed by. One crazed person with a weapon can turn the travel plans of hundreds of air passengers into chaos. A disease or an epidemic can confuse hospital systems, invade bodies, and and shut down systems. Without warning, one misuse of a vehicle, one wrong turn, and an accident can happen. Life-threatening circumstances in the blink of an eye. With hardly a moment's notice, chemicals stored in the wrong place for the wrong length of time can instantly combust and cause an entire city havoc. These are not imaginary circumstances, but the real and drastic everyday events which cloud our view and flood our minds. And those are not even mentioning the real personal problems that we each face that are less than newsworthy. And yet we know how much help we need. And sure, we take precautions. We wear our seatbelts, we live wisely, but we simply can't guarantee safety. And for every hazard that encounters our life and every challenging circumstance we face, Psalm 121 says, He will not let your foot slip. The Lord watches over you, your shade in the sun by day, from the moon by night. And so what can we conclude from this as we hear the words of this psalm ring out? Are we to assume that Christians will never sprain an ankle or be affected by the sun or have emotional problems? If so, we're in trouble because I'm pretty sure every single one of those happened on the last boomer trip to Washington that Robbie led. And our experience tells us plainly that these things still happen to Christians. And things much worse still happen to Christians. Just ask believers around the world who suffer persecution or natural disasters even on this day. So what's the truth here? Well, look back at the psalm with me. This pilgrim on the journey of faith is making his way along the road and listen how this road trip sing-along begins. Gazing up into the distance and around side to side, the psalmist proclaims, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And in a way, this journeyer is trudging along the road of faith, looks around for help and asks a question, does my help come from the mountains? You see, as this person looks at the hills for help, what is it that he or she is going to see? Sure, there's some magnificent scenery 
I'm sure it was beautiful to look at it. It probably even pointed them to the maker, to God himself. I'm from the flat Gulf Coast, and so mountains are impressive to me. I find them amazing. I enjoy being in them. But when a Hebrew would look to the hills, they would see something else. You see, in the time this psalm was written and sung, Palestine was overrun with popular pagan worship. And a lot of this religion was practiced on the hilltops. Eugene Peterson reminds us that shrines were set up, groves of trees were planted, people were lured to engage in illicit acts of worship, where? In the hills and in the mountains. And so there were spells and remedies and enchantments against every peril you could imagine. Are you afraid of the heat? Go to the sun priest and pay for protection against the sun god. Are you feel fearful of traveling by moonlight? Well, go to the moon priestess and buy a charm. Are you haunted by demons? that trip you with their pebbles. Go to the shrine and learn the magic formula. Where does my help come from? From Baal or Asherah, from the sun priest, from the moon priestess? You can imagine the kind of folks that populated these mountains. Anybody could run up there and make a new religion. And a whole host of people were in the business of deceit. Or maybe they had just deceived themselves into thinking they had some kind of special power. And this is the kind of thing that a Hebrew would have seen in looking to the hills. It's what every disciple sees. As people of faith encounter trouble or questions and cry for help, all of us lift up our eyes to the mountains only to find that offers for help abound. They're there. On every hilltop, in every color, in every kind, help is being offered to you. Do you feel like you're lacking? Call here and multiply your income in this way. Is your life insufficient for you? Here are 17 hobbies that could fill that void. We are the people of quick fixes and a culture of self-help. And the sad reality is that you could read Psalm 121, verse 1, into Christian homes all around. And verses 2 through 8 would not be necessary. Because our answers abound. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where will my help come from? And from there, we can point you to 25 different places where we will turn to help at each and every problem we face because we are convinced that we can solve our own problems, that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and fix and meet our own needs. And if the answer to verse 1 is anything else other than verse 2, we have tragically misunderstood both who we are and who God is. You see, the reality is things just haven't changed that much. And we still look to the high places for help. Some climb the corporate ladder and aspire to the boardrooms on the highest floor. Some look for help on Capitol Hill. 
to think that Washington will address our societal ills and fix all of our problems, or Moscow, or Tokyo, or Beijing, or whatever country. And huge numbers of people are starstruck by athletic salaries that seem astronomical at this point. And everyone with an IRA or a 401k loves the Dow Jones, the NASDAQ indexes, as long as they go up. You see, the high places allure us. They call to us. And day after day, people are placing their trust, their life, there, on the hills, in the mountains, in the high places. And I wonder today, have you been looking to the high places for help that they cannot provide? And after considering the high places, the psalmist takes us in another direction to a God big enough to trust and a God personal enough to care. See, the psalmist calls God our keeper. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord is your keeper. He will keep your life. Over and over again, that word keep comes up. It's used in several different ways. At first, the Hebrew word speaks of who God is. The Lord is your keeper. And then it goes on to what God does. The Lord will keep you from all evil. And what we learn in this psalm is that not only is refuge what our God is, refuge is what he does. Not only is keeper his name, but keeping is what he does. Not only is protector a part of his identity, but protecting is what he does. Not only is help who he is, but helping is what he does. And we can rely and count on God to be our helper and to help us when we need it the most. In 1914, Ernest Shackleton and a team of explorers set out from England to do something that had never been done before, to cross Antarctica from one side to the other across the South Pole. As history tells us, disaster struck when the team's ship, the Endurance, became entrapped in ice and eventually sank after her hull was crushed. They became marooned on an island, but not just any island, Elephant Island of Antarctica, where there seemed little hope for their survival. In a desperate effort to get help, Shackleton and five others set out in a 25-foot lifeboat to cross some of the most dangerous and storm-filled waters in the world. It was an 800-mile journey to the South Georgia Island where help could be found. So for 15 days, the men battled the treacherous seas and massive storms with waves of up to 100 feet pounding into their 20-foot boat. They had, for their journey, only a compass and a sextant, Frank Worsley, who had captained the Endurance, navigated their course until they arrived safely and found help. Shackleton was able to procure another ship and returned and rescued every single one of his men. He became a national hero in England for his courage and persistence. In a way, they could all contribute their survival to those two small tools 
that navigated a lifeboat back to safety. And like these men, we all face dramatic circumstances. We are lost if left to our own devices in the harshest conditions. We don't have to spend much time reminding ourselves just how treacherous the circumstances of our world can seem. And so we need a tool. We need direction to help. We need to be pointed to where help can come from. And we don't have a compass or a sextant that's going to help us to navigate these uncharted waters, but we have given to us His Word. And in His Word, we discover God Himself. We discover Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so there is nowhere else we can turn for help but here. These are the tools. This is the revelation of God given to us to find our way forward, to rescue those that have been lost, to be pointed in the right direction when the waves seem too difficult to navigate. He is our help in ever-present times of trouble. And so the psalmist can write in verse 7 and 8, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. This is who we're called to be and what we're called to do, to acknowledge and to recognize that God, our Maker, the Maker of heavens and earth, is a helper. And helping is what He does. He is a keeper. And He alone will keep you. Matthew Floating tells the story of Sally Henningfield. He says, She knew the truth of these words, that He will keep your life. Sally lived in a picturesque community in Orange City, Iowa. It's a small community, platted out on about one square mile. Now, over its 130-year history, it's spilled over those borders, but not even developers pose a threat to the alternating fields of corn and soybeans that surround the town. Sally lived on a high place, a hill just outside of town on the northwest corner in what was called the county home. That was where her parents had deposited her and her sister, who were both cognitively disabled, in 1955. From the county home, Sally could see other high places. On the town's southwest corner stood grain elevators, representing the financial base of the community. At the center, the courthouse of Sioux County, Lady Justice standing proudly on top, reminding everyone of its power. South and center stands Zwimmer Hall with its proud tower, the old main of Northwestern College's campus, representing the knowledge and education available to all. Sally could see them all clearly from the park bench on the lawn, but with this ironic twist. Though she could visually associate with these high places, her life wasn't about money. Social Security provided her room and board and a $35 a month spending allowance supplemented by $1 an hour she earned for wiping off the dining room tables was about all she needed. Her life wasn't about education and knowledge. She loved 
coloring books and could manage to scrawl her own name out in cursive. And her life certainly wasn't about power. She was a ward of the state. And when she finally needed to move to a nursing home, most of her belongings ended up in a dumpster within an hour's time. There was no family to claim them and no need to store them. But there was another high place in town, the church steeple. And it was there that this woman of low estate was elevated for the only time in her life. And through her participation in Bible studies, she became friend of many. It was from the church that she welcomed a steady trickle of visitors to her nursing home. The church provided the opportunity to worship with dignity and with others who loved and trusted Jesus. And at her life's end, it was the church who in her destitution would pay for her cemetery plot. The Lord who made heaven and earth was and is Sally's keeper. And while so many looked to other high places, she knew who kept her. When troubles come, when the waters rise, when hardship presses in, when crisis strikes, and when temptation knocks at the door, we are ever aware that there are options and opinions and help screaming at us from every hilltop. Look here, use this remedy, fix it yourself or trust in me. And we have to join with the psalmist in saying, I lift my eyes up to the hills and ask, where does my help come from? And I answer that it does not come from any of those high places. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Where is it that you look when you're looking for your keeper? If you want a hill to look for, if you want a hill to look to, there is only one. You have to look at the Son of Man who stood outside of Jerusalem and looked upon her when he was on his pilgrimage on the Passover feast. And he wept for her because he knew what she would do to him. And he stood at the bottom of a hill, the ultimate pilgrimage, being the ultimate journeyer when they put the wood upon his back and prepared him for his journey up the mountain. And instead of getting safely up the mountain of the Lord, as the pilgrim does here when they reach Jerusalem, he cried out to God, I lift my eyes where is my help? And there was silence as the sin of the world rested upon his shoulders. Can God keep you afloat when circumstances are pulling you down in your heart? The answer is that the one who did not spare his only son for you, can he not also give you what you need to walk on the path to the mountain? It was Augustine of Hippo who said, Who is there who will neither slumber nor sleep? When you see one among men, you are deceived. You will not find one. Trust not then in any man. Every man slumbers and will sleep. Seek not your keeper among 
men. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Join with me as we pray. God, we are ever grateful and ever humbled by the power you offer to protect us. You are our refuge. And God, we stumble and fall and we look to so many places to pick us up. We confess that our trust and our hope is placed in our worth. Our trust and our hope is placed in money. Our trust and our hope gets placed in power, in politics, in people, in ourselves, in other gods and idols that we create for ourselves. We lay those down today. We set them aside because none is worthy of the place you deserve in our life. We turn our eyes to you. We look to you, our keeper, our helper, our refuge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.